0: Hello, and a heartfelt welcome to all our listeners as we embark on season four of the Family Twist podcast. I'm Kendall Austin Stulz, and my life story is a tapestry of unexpected turns from being adopted as an infant to losing my adoptive parents by the time I was 17. And then in a twist of fate, finding my birth family through the magic of DNA testing in 2017.
1: And I'm Corey Stulz, Kendall's partner on this life adventure. When we uncovered his paternal birth family's roots on the East Coast, I knew our next chapter was calling us there to mend the missing pieces of Kendall's heart with the love of newfound relatives.
0: Our podcast began as a single thread, a narrative of my own, but it is woven into a vibrant quilt of stories celebrating the complexities of DNA surprises, adoption, donor conception, NPEs, not parent expected, surrogacy, and the myriad ways families come together.
1: Thanks again for joining us on Family Twist. Today we have Linda Carroll Trotter with us, an adoptee who has a very unique adoption story, and she's going to share how it's not as well known about her particular case and the case for about 4,000 people. Welcome to the show, Linda Carroll.
2: Thank you. I appreciate you guys uh, asking me to be a part of this, and I'm very excited to be here with you today. When did
1: you learn of your adoption?
2: I can't think of a time that I didn't know I was adopted. My parents were always very open. They didn't know much about my origins and my circumstances, but whatever they knew, they told me. So probably from the time I could talk, I've known I was adopted. They told me, you're Greek. I was adopted from the municipal orphanage, which is run by the municipality of Athens. Your Greek name was uh, Esthia, which they couldn't pronounce correctly. It came out weird, like Optusia mm. or something like that, because I didn't grow up around any Greek people. They didn't really know any Greek people. They told me I was a premature baby, that my mother died in childbirth. This is everything they were told by the Greek lawyer that they used. But I've always known, and was never been a stigma or any kind of a problem for me because I've always known it. And my dad always believed that telling me the absolute truth about everything was always the best thing to do, even if the truth wasn't pretty. So I always had that, and I'm thankful.
1: Did you have any interest as you got into your teen years or your 20s of researching where you came from, and did you have any desire to visit Greece?
2: Actually, no. I had wonderful adoptive parents, and I'm sad to say that's not the case for many Greek adoptees. Uh, of those some 4,000 of us that were adopted, many parents were abusive. There was a lack of oversight by both the Greek and the American governments. This is why some people wound up with not really good parents. I was fortunate that I wound up with great parents and I had a wonderful life with them. I didn't have any real desire to go to Greece, didn't have any desire to search for my family. For one thing, I thought my mother was dead. Plus, They also said that I had been left on a doorstep or something. We had these conflicting stories. I really didn't know the circumstances or what I was supposed to be doing Mm. as far as looking. I did go to Greek festivals. I loved and I love Greek food, but who doesn't, right? I went to Greek festivals. I would ask for books about mythology, about Greek history, about various other things. And my parents would always get me whatever I wanted. They'd go to the Greek festivals with me, but I just didn't have any real desire to do that until they both passed away and then that's what really spurred me on to decide well I would like to actually find out something maybe there's nobody to look for but maybe there's other relatives you know I was 59 years old when I decided finally it was important it's not important until it is important and it was important that absolutely
1: Uh, your parents were not told the truth about your birth mother she in fact did not die during
2: childbirth. No, she didn't. Neither was I a family who was left on a doorstep. And I actually kind of went through probably about four iterations of my story till I actually found out the actual truth. The first one was your mother died in childbirth and you were a premature baby and you weighed four and a half pounds and whatever. We had that story. I got my orphanage papers. I got quite a few documents from them. Actually, I was extremely lucky because some people don't have very many. It said this lady had taken me to the Athens police and said I had been left on her doorstep by my mother and that she was afraid my mother would abandon me again if I was given back to her. So would the police please take this child to the orphanage? Mm -hmm. That turned out to not be a true story either. The lady in question was actually my own godmother. I later found out my great-grandfather had bribed her to get rid of me because I was an embarrassment to the family because in the 50s in Greece... It was a big no-no that you have a baby out of wedlock. Mm. He bribed her to get rid of me, and she took both me and my mother to Athens. She left me in the orphanage, and she left my mother homeless in Athens for nine months. Then my mother finally found some work, and she lived in Athens for quite some years after that. But you get all these iterations of your story. You're like, what's the real story? Finally, this real story came together. I was somebody's actual daughter. Having those papers that give you um, contradictory things, it's difficult because I have one paper from the orphanage that says I'm of unknown parents. Later, I get my alien file from the U.S. government. And the Greek adoption decree is in there that says I'm the illegitimate daughter of Hadiklia Nula. How is that possible? Mm. You're one or the other. You can't be right. both. The more it changed, the more I was like, what's the real story? After six years now of knowing my family, I finally got the real story. Wow.
1: What was it like for you the moment that you found out your birth mother is still alive.
2: I'll never forget it because it was very vivid. The person who was helping me, who was in Greece at the time and spoke Greek, sent me an email. She had already gotten close to thinking she was going to be able to get in touch with someone from the village that I was actually born in to see if we could connect with my mother. We still were operating on the premise she was not alive. I got the email. I was on the way to dinner with my husband. I hadn't checked the email all day because we'd been busy. And I opened the phone and there was an email and it said, fasten your seatbelt. I opened it and said, take a seat. I just spoke on the phone with your cousin Constantinos, the president of the village. The first thing I did, I started to cry because I was like, oh my gosh, I've got a cousin. And he assures me that your mother, Hariglia, is alive and well at the age of 70. I burst into tears. I bawled like a baby. My husband's like, what's the matter? I said, my mother's still alive. Um, I cried. I read on, and she said, you were her only Mm. child, and she has never forgotten Mm. you. You can't imagine all the emotions that were going through my Mm. head at that point. First, you think she was dead. You don't know you had a mother, but you don't know if she's still alive. Then they call the village. They find out she is still alive. Later, the email went on to say that she was so excited that she had a daughter and two Mm. grandchildren, and she couldn't wait to meet us and wanted Mm. to see us. It was just amazing.
1: How quickly did you book that trip? Degrees <laughs>
2: pretty quick because I don't mess around. Well, I put my mind to do something. When I do something, I do it all the way. I we actually had a trip planned to Europe that October. This was June of 2017 when we found them and knew that she was alive. We had a trip booked that October for our 25th wedding anniversary. We we're going to take our two kids with us to do this. We we're going to go to Paris, we we're going to go to Rome, then we we're going to go to Athens to uh, see the orphanage where I was kept and we were going to renew our wedding vows in some nice spot in Athens. That was before I even started looking Mm. for family and then I find them, well, we have to change our plans, obviously, because now we're going to have to go see my relative. But I wanted to talk to them on the phone. The very next day, the village president's wife decided we're going to do this right away. She sets up a phone call. The next week, I, I talked to my biological mother. Um, Uh, I talked to her on the phone with the translator. The village priest and his wife actually spoke English because they lived in New York for 10 years, When they had returned to the village. They were friends of the family. Several family members came to their house along with my biological mother and they translated. The phone call was extremely emotional. She said to me to Greek over and over again, when are you coming? When are you coming? By the end of the phone call, I'm in tears. My husband's in tears. I said, oh my gosh, Bobby, you know, part of me just wants to get on that plane right now and go. And he says, well, I'm glad you said that because, you know, we're not millionaires and we're not made of money, so we can't say money is no object. But this is your mother, so money is no object. Buy the tickets, take Heather, our daughter, with you because I can't go right now because of work. I don't want you to go alone. Go and see her because you will never forget yourself if something happens to her between now and October. A week after that, we were on the plane to Greece
0: That's amazing
2: and it,
1: who was there at the airport to greet you?
2: I wanted to get somewhere where I could take a shower and change my clothes and look decent, leading up to going to Greece, the first cousin of mine was corresponding with me on, on Facebook, and he kept asking me, I need your itinerary because I want to make sure you guys arrive safely. He asked me several times, and my husband said, that guy's going to meet you at the airport. I said, oh, surely not. You know, the village is 155 miles from there. They're not going to come to the airport. A couple of days before we left, he said, because we want to be with you as more than we can, I'm coming to the airport, I'm bringing your mother. Oh, my gosh. This isn't how I wanted to meet her. I wanted to be pretty clean (laughs) and makeup all that stuff. He brought her to the airport. Also, her youngest sister, my aunt Georgia, and her husband, Costas, and their grandson, Mm -hmm. George, came as well. The reason they brought George, I found out later, I thought my cousin could speak English fairly decently because we were texting on Facebook. Evidently, he'd been using Google oh, Translate a lot, because when I would ask him stuff and I got to the airport, he'd go, "Uh, just um, a minute, and he'd put something in the phone. George came, because George at 15 was quite proficient in English. He had been taking private lessons, and he did quite well. All of them were at the airport. I was so nervous when the plane landed. I got all hot and sweaty and shaky, and I'm thinking, I don't want to be sick, but I feel like I'm going to be sick. because you don't know what's going to meet you. I knew somebody was coming to the airport. I thought it was just my mother and Vasilis, my cousin, but it was those other people too. You don't know what to expect. Is it going to be strange? Is it going to be weird? Is it going to feel like family? Are they going to feel like strangers? What's it going to be like? It was nerve-wracking. I thought, I cannot see them like this. I'm in these same clothes for 24 hours. I went in the bathroom, put on a clean shirt, spritzed myself with some cologne, and thought, yeah, they're going to have to see me like this because there's nothing else (laughs) I can do. I have to say, it was not weird. It was not strange. They felt like family because they are my family. It was just an amazing experience. I was so happy. It's difficult to describe. Vasilius walked up and I recognized him from Facebook. He gave me a big hug and then he turned me around and led me over to where my biological mother, my aunt, my uncle, and George were standing. And he said, and here's your mother. This petite woman had this enormous bouquet of flowers, and she shoves them up at me, and and then I took them, and then we both hugged, and we just yeah. cried. She called me an apimul, which is my love. It was an amazing thing. I never felt weird or awkward. They've always felt like family. It's beautiful. Sorry,
1: yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm getting a little, a little choked up over here. What, what was the rest of that first visit like?
2: The funny thing, we had to follow them back to the village. I thought we would go to the hotel first, but no, we drove from Athens through Patra because, uh... The way you come from Athens is at the very top edge of the Peloponnese along the Gulf of Corinth. It's a beautiful drive. My daughter and I are the whole way like, wow, because we rented a car. We followed them. It was just amazing. And we drove over the big Rio Antheo bridge, which is the only physical connection between the Peloponnese and the mainland of Greece. There's ferries that go back and forth at several places, but that's the only place you can go across something physical. We went up to the village. So it took two and a half hours to drive from Athens, and it's another hour and a half to the village. We just got off 24 hours of being on planes, and we're driving, and I'm thinking, man, sometime I have to sleep. Yeah. But we drove to the village, and when we get there, this massive humanity spills out of her little house onto the front terrace. And they already have this big table set up outside on the front porch, all this food. And we just had one big fat Greek dinner. I met all these other relatives, and I can't even tell you who all was there. I catch myself having to look at the photos to see who was there. I met um, aunts, uncles, cousins, family, friends, extended family. The priest and his wife that had translated for me were there. It was just crazy. I instantly had a big pack Greek family, (laughs) and it was a little bit overwhelming at first because Greeks have one volume. It's called Loud, and so they're loud, and they're boisterous, and they're happy, and and they eat a lot. Everything revolves around food, pretty much. So we had a big, huge dinner, and it was an amazing thing. My mother's oldest sister and her husband were there, and they told me, and this was one of the sweetest things anybody told me, my Aunt Theodora said, Now, we have five children, which are five of my first cousins. But now that you're here, now we have six. And so it was just a beautiful thing. She's amazing. She's 90 years old now, my mother's oldest sister. And she still knits and crochets things. All the rugs in my house here in Greece, she made on a loom years ago. She has a lot of rugs that she's made. And she's crocheted and knitted stuff. She even made a pullover for huh. my husband by hand, made me a shawl wow. by hand. It's wow. just amazing. Oh
1: boy. Wow, this is fantastic. And You said something earlier about if you do something, you're going all the way. So talk a little bit about your activism now on and trying to help others.
2: I never thought I'd be really an activist, but I guess I am now. When I started coming to Greece, I I couldn't stay away for very long. I got almost in the habit of coming every other month. I was here for a month at a time. About nine months into this thing, renting an apartment, buying a car because my husband said I was killing him with the hotel bills and the real car. So we did that and then eventually bought a house of our own. It's nice to have our own spot. I was thinking so many other adoptees and how many of us there were. And I began to correspond with a lot of them. Some of them had seen an article in the Tennessean about my story. I put in there, if you're an adoptee and you want to talk or you need help, here's an email to contact me. And that's when the idea for the Esfahia project started. Maybe I can run down an address for somebody. Maybe I can get some papers for somebody. Maybe there's something I can do that can help people. That's kind of how it started. And then it just morphed into this huge thing. I actually started the FDKIA project as a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We help Greek adoptees who are searching for their roots and Greek families who are looking for their children lost to adoption free of charge. We don't charge anything. Our organization accepts donations, but we don't ask for donations or money from adoptees or families that have asked for our help. A lot of times I would end up with powers of attorney from various adoptees to get papers because some people had no papers. Some parents didn't share papers. Some parents destroyed papers. It just Mm -hmm. snowballed after that. We started off just doing things like that. Then we started to search and help people find family. We've connected 23 adoptees with their biological families. We've helped facilitate those connections in the past four years. We're actually pretty close to three or four more right now. It was something that I felt like needed to be done. We give away free DNA kits to adoptees and Greek adoptees and Greek families who are looking. At first, we bought them ourselves or we asked people. We took them from any company we could get them from. And then MyHeritage reached out to us and said, hey, we saw an article in the Greek Reporter about how you drive all around Greece and deliver these DNA kits to families. We'd like to help you. They have provided free DNA kits to us that we can then pass on to others. And they also provide us other support. They help us with our subscriptions to the MyHeritage site, and they help us with research and and various other activities. I would say probably 90% of us still have our Greek passports that we left with as babies. I have mine. You know, we're Greek citizens. According to the passport, we have the Greek nationality and the Greek identity, and we're Greek citizens. We were all born to Greek parents in Greece. Greece has what they call the law of blood what they call Ithiania, if you're born to a Greek parent in Greece, you're a Greek citizen. That's just the way it is. But everybody was having difficulty trying to get their citizenship. Hmm. So then we became advocates for that. We actually have advocated for the last three years with the Greek government on behalf of Greek adoptees for transparency about our adoptions, which they have yet to really recognize that we exist or to say anything about any kind of complicity Hmm. they had in this. We want our records open so we can get them. They are using a lot of excuses not to give us our records, so we're having difficulty with that. And then we want our citizenship restored. All the government ministries we've met with so far agree that if you have those Greek passports, you're Greek citizens. Mm -hmm. But they don't have any clue how to do that. I'm fortunate Because my birth was registered and I have an actual Greek birth certificate with a baptismal certificate because my biological family did baptize me before I wound up in the orphanage. And they also included me on the family registration because in Greece, families have a registration called the Medida. I was able to reclaim that citizenship. However, I had to go to court and spend thousands of dollars and a lot of time to actually have my name changed from Esthia to what it is now to Linda Carol Trotter because I don't have the same name and neither does anybody else. We shouldn't have to do that. They should do that without all of this. We shouldn't have to go to court. We have all the papers that prove all of our name changes that we were adopted from Greece. Most of us have the birth certificates who we were born to, or we can get them in a lot of cases. We've been fighting for that. So far, the government's just not responsive. We've been talking to the opposition parties in parliament and we met with a bunch of them and they're all very supportive. We're hoping that they can put enough pressure on the party in power to actually do something, but it's been about three years and they haven't done anything. But I was invited to speak before the United Nations uh, in September in Geneva. It was on the first anniversary of the joint statement on illegal intercountry adoption. It's the first time a Greek adoptee's spoken before one of the committees for the UN. And I have to thank Linnell Long. I don't know if you guys are familiar with her, but she is the the founder of Intercountry Adoptee Voices. It's an international adoptee organization. And they had given her organization two five-minute slots, uh, slots to speak. And she generously gave me one to speak on behalf of Greek adoptees. Mm. I was very happy because she said, you guys are the old, one of the oldest cohorts and you have never had representation at the, at the UN. I was very excited to be able to go to the UN and uh, it was hard to cram all that into five minutes, but I did the best right. I could to, to, to do that. I was approached by the vice president of the committee on enforced disappearances afterward. He, Gave me her information for contact, and she wants us to participate further as the Eftikia Project when they have their meetings. Might be heading to Geneva again, which I don't mind. I like Geneva. It was nice. (laughs) Wow.
0: So what has your mother been able to tell you about your biological father?
2: That's a story that's just a little bit convoluted. Mm. I'll just suffice it to say that the person that I thought was my father is not my father because I did a DNA test with his brother and we oh. don't match. I think in a lot of cases, I'm not unusual as a Greek adoptee. There are other adoptees I've talked to that somebody hasn't been quite truthful with them right. either. I'm not terribly concerned about it. I know a lot of people are really hung up on finding their biological fathers, Um It would be okay if I did, but for me, it's okay if I don't, because I have such a huge family here now. I think the only reason I'd want to is I might have siblings. But then again, I I think as adoptees, we generally have more of a connection to our Mm. mothers because our mothers carried us for nine months. We have some kind of really tight ephemeral connection to biological mothers. And for fathers, I don't think it's quite as much, at least not Mm. for me. I really feel like a lot of our fathers, especially in Greece, probably don't know we even exist. I did find some second cousins with DNA that I know are on my father's Mm. side because they're not related to anybody on my mother's side. And they're very nice and they've been trying to help me narrow it down. But so far we haven't come up with anything but more second cousins or third cousins. If it never happens, it's okay. I I don't have a, a, a burning desire to find that out. If I never find out, it won't matter to me so much
1: can you talk a little bit about how the reunion got started
2: well you know i always thought it would be fun if we all got together greek adoptees in general in 2022 we had the first annual greek adoptee reunion in nashville tennessee i live in franklin just outside of nashville but there's a couple of reasons for that nashville is called the athens of the south And we have a Parthenon. We have the world's only full-size replica of the Parthenon there in Centennial Park. So we wanted something with a Greek connection. How much more Greek can you get from the Parthenon? And we're the Athens of the south. So we decided to have it there. Uh, We had it last August and we had about 50 adoptees from all over the United States. We had a great time. We decided that we would really like to have our second reunion in Greece because all of us are getting older. And who knows how long we'll be healthy enough to walk around in Greece and travel around the country and do things. We began and ended in Athens. We were together for six days. We had a wonderful time. We actually had an opening ceremony at the Melina Macquarie Cultural Center for Greeks. She's like the most iconic actress ever from Greece. They have a museum called Kyriosis, which is a little uh, shadow puppet Mm. character that was very prevalent in Greece. Especially back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, it's something Greek children grew up with, which most of us didn't if we weren't raised by Greeks. We actually visited the two major Mm -hmm. orphanages in Athens. We went to Mithera, which was the orphanage started by the Queen of Greece back in those days in the 50s. And then we went to the Athens Municipal Orphanage that I came from. Very emotional for a lot of these people because they had never been to that orphanage since they were adopted. And a lot of them had never been back to Greece since they had been adopted. We had a historian who came and talked about Greece in the Cold War decades and what it was like to live here then. And we had a wonderful panel of three journalists who have actually done a lot of work uncovering these Greek adoption mm-hmm. scandals because there were three or four scandals that plagued these adoptions. Even if they started for the right reasons, corruption in any kind of intercountry country adoption generally mm-hmm. follows. Uh, when they find out they can actually make money off of it, You get these players that are doing things that they shouldn't be doing, and they're making a lot of money Mm. off of it. So a lot of these adoptions from Greece that we've heard figures of like $10,000 each for these adoptions, and they probably should have cost somewhere around $2,000. That would include everything, including your transportation Mm. to get home to America from Greece. Several people met biological family for the first time. Uh, which was amazing for them, Uh, and others uh, saw their family again. Uh, One of our adoptees, thank goodness, uh, we had found his biological family on his mother's family on the island of Spetses, and his father's family in the town of So His biological father was still alive and had been searching for him for 60 years and had no idea he was in America. When we uh, connected with his father in June, Uh, And he began to talk to him. He had two Mm -hmm. sisters. Uh, His father had two daughters. And they connected. And he was coming in October to the reunion and was basically going to wait to come then. And I said, Mm -hmm. don't wait. I said, he's 84 years old. Anything could happen. The same thing my husband told me, you'll never forgive yourself if something happens between now and October. And so he came and spent a week with his father in august and he spent another week with them in october unfortunately his father passed away on thursday but yeah i'm so happy that he was able to spend that time with his dad when people find someone i don't think they should wait i mean i would beg borrow or steal to try to go to see that biological family member especially these older ones, because we're, we're kind of right. running out of time. Most of us Greek adoptees are in our 60s and 70s. Our parents are in their 80s and 90s. Finding them alive is getting harder mm-hmm. and harder.
1: For sure. Wow. That's <laughs> incredible. Wow. Um, how fluent are you in Greek now?
2: Milao ligo ellenica. na matho Which means, I speak a little Greek and I'm <laughs> I'm trying to learn. I do okay. It's really funny. I'm very self-conscious around people that I know well. My family is really bad. Greek families, they're kind of overbearing. Like in my big fat Greek wedding. They're kind of overbearing and they tell you what to do and all of that. So when I speak Greek to them, they correct me all the time in the middle of the sentence. I can't finish the sentence. Or they finish the sentence for me because they know what I'm gonna say. And I'm like. Okay, stop. You're my a right. Greek teacher. I have a Greek right. teacher. And stop. I said, do I correct you in English? <laughs> no, I don't. Leave me alone. I actually do really well with strangers, and I speak Greek much better when I have to. A lot of times I do travel to villages to get DNA where nobody speaks English, and I do Good. okay. I actually read, write, and understand it much better than I speak it. Anybody that speaks another language can tell you, you have to think. Sometimes you can't right. think fast enough to do all that because basically you hear it in Greek, then you think in English, and then you got to translate that to Greek and say it back. There's sort of a delay yep. there. I still take lessons every week with, with a Greek teacher who lives on the island of Paros. Mm-hmm. We do Zoom lessons, and I was I was fortunate enough to be able to to Paros for a week this summer, and every morning we did Greek for wow. like three hours, and then my little dog and I spent the afternoon sightseeing. Oh. It was really wow. fun.
1: Linda Carroll, you are doing wonderful work. Thank you for that. We'll do our little part to, to help spread the word, because as you said, there's, the conversation is not happening enough about what happened to all these Greek children. So thank you for what you're doing.
2: I'm really excited about being able to tell more people and bring more awareness to this, because it's a big thing is, is spreading the awareness. Because I always, always clarify when people ask me to tell my story, that my story is just representative of 4,000 people. I like to say that all of our stories are different, but yet they're all the same because we came from the same background and the same circumstances. When I went to the UN and listened to these other adoptees talk about their testimonies about what happened in their countries, we all have the same problems in inter-country adoption. We've all had the same corruption, the same falsified documents, the same schemes. You guys are doing really good work as far as your podcast too get more information out there about adoption adoption for me was the best Mm -hmm. option because i know after being here in greece how growing up in a mountain village i would have been uneducated probably herding goats and picking olives or something like that because it's about the only thing you can do in these villages um i wouldn't have the opportunities i had and i wouldn't have had the family home life and all that i had in america so i'm not sorry that i ended up in america i'm just Totally blessed that I was able to come back to Greece and reconnect with my family and be in a position like I am to help others who are in the same boat as I am. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely.
0: It's true. I think you and I feel similarly about our adoptive families because I feel exactly the same way. Granted, I was adopted in America, but from talking to my biological father's children, they love our father, but they're like, you know, your upbringing would have been quite different if I had been with my biological family at that point in time.
2: My cousins all told me when I first came that you were so Mm. lucky to go Mm. to America. And at first I was thinking America is a land of opportunity and all that kind of stuff, but it was more about the circumstances that I would have been raised Mm -hmm. in here because Greece was such a poor country. They had just come off of World War II and the Greek Civil War back to back. And they were basically a wash in poverty. I'm very lucky that I ended up in America and with the parents that yep. I did. I agree. Sometimes, you know, we are lucky to be adopted and other times it didn't work That's out right. so well.
0: And you even alluded to the fact that many adoptees were taken by people who didn't treat them well. I can't relate to that. I feel so fortunate that I had the parents that I had. They were just great people. We can't leave out the other side of the equation where things aren't always so positive for people.
2: Especially in the case of Greek adoptees, it was just the lack of oversight. Mm -hmm. The U.S. government didn't care, and neither did the Greek government, about who some Greek baby Mm -hmm. went to. No one ever checked on you after you got to America. Nobody checked on me. I was lucky. I was with good people. But nobody checked on these other people that were abused. They've suffered lifelong trauma Mm -hmm. because of it. I guess I lived in a bubble for a long time, thinking, oh, you wouldn't go to all that trouble and all that expense to adopt a child and then mistreat it, would you? Evidently, Mm. yes. You know, they did. It was hard to fathom after being as loved. I was unconditionally loved by my parents and protected and given a great education and all the advantages you could possibly want. Yet, here's people that would take a child and abuse it after they went to so great lengths to have that child come Mm -hmm. into the family. So... My heart really aches for those people. Again,
1: thank you so much for sharing your story. This has been uh, a very emotional (laughs) episode on our side. I mean, it's a a beautiful story, and I'm so happy that you've had this wonderful reunion and now a great relationship with your big fat Greek family.
2: (laughs) Well, sometimes it's a little more family than you think you can handle, but it's been good. And I made new relatives all the time. Oh, this is your second cousin from so-and-so. And And I'm like, oh, cool. You know, another one. I'm excited for what you guys are doing and bringing attention to adoption and DNA craziness. So kudos to you guys, too, for what you're doing. We
0: appreciate that. Well, go have uh, more fun in Greece.
1: A surprise for us is how closely connected our communities are in so many ways. We may use different terms to describe our guests, such as adoptees, donor babies, NPEs, and etc., but the stories we share here are fashioned together to a coat of many colors, one that we're proud to see being strutted down the family twist runway. As we approach Season 5 and our Milestone 100th episode, Kendall and I want to hear your stories, or the stories from the people you hold dear please visit familytwistpodcast.com. Take a quick scroll to the bottom of the page and share a twist with us. We want you to be our next guest. Until then, let's take care of each other while doing the twist. Okay, we're still testing out the catchphrases. The Family Twist podcast features original music by Cosmic Afterthoughts and is presented by Savoir Fair Marketing Communications.